If you have a Bible, turn to Colossians 2. We're going to be looking primarily at three verses, verses 8, 9, and 10. We're going through the book of Colossians. Um, And today I'm calling this sermon, Fully Alive in Jesus. The series is called um, Come Alive, but today we're kind of zeroing in on the place in this, this passage where it talks about being alive in Christ. Now here's a question for you as a believer. Are you alive, fully alive in Jesus Christ? I heard that the South African diamond mines were first discovered when they noticed some little boys playing with shiny rocks like they were marbles. And as someone looked closely, they found out that those were actually diamonds that the little guys had in their hands. And it made me think of what we have in Jesus Christ. And sometimes we're not fully aware of the treasure that is in us. Here's what it says in John 10.10. The thief, it's talking about the enemy of our souls here, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Now this is Jesus speaking. Red letters in the Bible. And then he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. We're going to look at this passage today and it's going to show us how we can have that fullness in our hearts as believers. Because really, haven't you ever thought it? You know, when does that abundant life thing, when does that full life thing really kick in? Well, we're going to show you some ways to make it kick into gear and work for you because God has it written in his word. Let's pray. Father, move upon our hearts. Change us, Lord, that we might be more like you. Come by the power of your Holy Spirit and illuminate your truth to our hearts. Your word, Lord, to our hearts. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Three things that I'm going to take from this text to show us uh, the prerequisites for this full life. And the first is this, don't be deceived. What I mean by that is simply this. If you're choosing someone else to be your source of information for wisdom other than Jesus, you may call yourself a Christian, but if you're letting all these other philosophers and uh, philosophies from life enter in, they will interrupt everything that Jesus has for you. One of the things I find interesting about all the religions of the world uh, or, or about the way that the world approaches religion is quite often they will say that Jesus is good, but they refuse to put him on the throne as Lord of all. You'll see that in our culture. They'll say, Jesus is fine. You can believe in Jesus, but believe in all these other things. And this passage is telling us, don't be deceived because he needs to be preeminent over all. He's the one true God And if you don't believe that, your faith will be hindered and it's not going to work for you. Colossians 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Here's the problem for believers in our culture today. We come to church a couple hours a week, maybe. If you're in a small group, let's make it three and a half hours. I hope you are in a small group somewhere too, connected to believers. Maybe if you read the word every day, you're in the word 20 or 30 minutes a day and you're in prayer for a season two. So let's put it all together and say, with your prayer, reading the word and everything, if you're really committed, you've got five or six hours that you've dedicated to the Lord uh, through your week. Throw a service in, you may have more. Now look at what we watch. We watch TV. Average Americans around 25 hours a week. You're on the computer. Add another, 
I don't know, depending, you can go either or, computer, TV. Younger ones tend to be on the computer more. Older ones tend to be on TV more. It's the way it's shaping up. But you add that, then you add the music, and probably with the mediums of communication that predominantly show the world's philosophies, you've got about 50 hours coming into your brain. And the problem we don't understand is sometimes the philosophies of the world are invading our hearts and pushing out philosophy in Jesus Christ. Philosophy is not bad in of itself. But there's only one philosophy that really truly works. We're going to read about it in just a moment. Jesus is all wisdom. We're going to see that in just, in just a few minutes. But do you have CNN philosophy? Do you have Republican philosophy? Democratic philosophy? Do you have um, Oprah philosophy? Because honestly, a lot of the philosophers we allow in our hearts today aren't near as smart as the intellectuals of, of past centuries. But, but just as damaging as those who didn't believe in Christ. And so we see it that our faith will not work if we let people get in and preempt the thought that Jesus is the one true way and the master that we need to allow to be Lord over all of our lives. How do... How do false teachers capture people? You see that word in verse 8, that, that don't let anyone take you captive. How are people held captive or captured? And the answer is simple. Captives are the ones who are ignorant to the truths of the word of God. So if we're getting all this other information and we have a diminished amount of time that's here or listening to the teaching of God's word or the intaking of the word of life in our lives, then we will be led astray because in here, this is where we find truth. We'll become fascinated by the intelligence of men rather than the wisdom of God. And eventually, we'll let empty false philosophers, false teachers take over our belief system. When a person doesn't know the truth contained in the Bible, the word of God, they're more susceptible to the vain philosophies of the world. You may have heard this before, it's, it's an old story, but I like it. A college student was in a philosophy class in, co in, in college, and boy, are they hitting at your kid's face when they go to college. You better pray for your kid when they go to secular colleges, because they're attacking Christianity in the classroom through the vain philosophies of the world. One professor said in his classroom, let's talk about God. Has anyone here ever truly heard God speak audibly? Silence. Has anyone here touched God, he said. Has anyone here seen God? Everyone stayed silent. He said, well, since no one's seen, heard, or touched God, then we're just gonna believe the fact that there is no God. Reluctantly, at first, a young boy raised his hand and he said, um, I'd like to ask a couple questions. Has anyone here in this class ever seen our professor's brain? I mean, literally seen it. Has anyone here touched our professor's brain? Has anyone heard his brain? Not his voice, but his brain. Since the answer's no to all those questions, we're going to assume with his logic that we can also know for fact that our professor has no brain. That might have been smart that day on his behalf, but it probably cost him some grade, don't you think, a little bit? I was one of those students that was always willing to give up a little grade for some truth to come into the classroom. 
J. Vernon McGee has said this, false philosophy is like a blind man looking in a dark room for a black cat that isn't there. I mean, really. If you're believing some other philosophy, let's examine what you're looking at. You're looking at the mind of a man or a woman who's decided that they know better than everyone else. So you're going to believe in the man. One of the philosophers that is still renowned today and thought highly of that I read about this week is Friedrich Nietzsche, a 19th century German philosopher, philosopher who scorned Christianity, called Christians weaklings, and proclaimed that God is dead which I find kind of interesting to believe that he must have thought he was alive at some point. You know, but now he thinks he's dead. I'd like to talk to him about that, but he's, he's gone. Um, as you look at his life, you wonder, how'd that work out for him? And if you go to college today, you'll hear about Nietzsche, and you'll study some of his theories and that philosophy, but they, here's what they won't tell you in college. He spent the last 11 years of his life insane. We're looking at the philosophies of men that didn't even work out for them. And we're going to base our lives on a guy who went insane and believe. And if you look around, I'm telling you, none of the philosophies of men and women have ever worked because there's only one true philosophy that's work, that works. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 1.19. As the scriptures say, I will destroy, now this is the Bible, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. Let me stop for a moment and say, even if someone had an IQ of 180, what is that compared to the IQ of God? I mean, let's get real. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of the world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. He's used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. And by the way, the Gentiles are, it's everybody in the world who's not a Jew, essentially. Verse 24, but to those Called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Who is wisdom? Where is wisdom? The Bible says it's Jesus. That's where all wisdom lies. The foolish plan of God, verse 25, is wiser than the wisest of human plans and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Again, we see that, that Jesus' wisdom in 1 Corinthians 1.30, God has united you with Christ Jesus. Speaking to the believer now. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. It's not that philosophy's bad. It's that the only true philosophy that works in life didn't work for Nietzsche. Don't follow that stuff. The only one that really works is this philosophy that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. A true philosopher is a seeker after truth and I have no problem with people seeking after truth. I think it's a great thing to do but if you're truly seeking 
the only place you'll find that will fill that empty void in your life is the philosophy that Jesus is the King of Kings. And yes, He is God. Man's wisdom is deficient. Christ's wisdom is all-sufficient. And that leads me to my second point. I talked about this quite a bit, so I'm not gonna hit it as hard today. A couple weeks ago, I talked about Jesus being fully God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He was there at the beginning with creation. But a second thought, if if you're gonna come fully alive, is you have to believe not only that he was a good man, but that he's deity, that he is God. Do believe in his deity. If you don't believe that, your faith will never work for you because it's not truly faith. You haven't come to the point of faith if you don't believe that. Colossians 2.9 says this, For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So here in Colossians, he's bringing it up again. Now, oh, I, I don't want to confuse you, but, but Paul is speaking to the, to, to the people in the city of Colossae and there are people that they call Gnostics, J, or I'm sorry, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S, Gnostics, who believe in angels. That's really their religion. You ever run around or see people today that believe that, you know, they pray to angels and they pray to their loved ones who've died? And Well, those are, those are referred to by, by those Gnostics in Colossae as emanations, meaning angels coming down from heaven. And they were trying to say that Jesus was an angel. They're going to give him some credit and some uh, affirmation, but they would say, but he wasn't God. And angels did not have physical uh, bodies, they just had spirits according to the Gnostics. So you see what the Gnostics were doing, if they can convince people that Jesus didn't have a body, then how could he have been crucified, right? Because he didn't even have a body. So they're bringing all this nonsense and Paul's saying, don't believe that stuff. He was fully man sent to, be, to show that he's fully God as well and he died for your sins, died for the sins of mankind. The wrath of, of the Father fell on him that it might not fall on us. The grace of God comes through Jesus Christ. We're all forgiven and he was reminding them that he is fully God. Jesus in every way is God. So here, here's the fundamental test of every religion that you look at. This is where you start. Do they rob Jesus of his deity? If they do, have nothing to do with them. Now, I can say that about religion, but let me say it about denominations of churches now and certain churches. Not only do religions deny, but now we have churches and denominations that deny that Jesus is fully God. And if you go to a place that says Jesus isn't God, that he's not deity, run from that place. Because it's anti-Bible that they're teaching and anti-truth. Jesus is God. Now, I could give you lots of arguments, and I did that uh, to some degree. I'm going to grab this bench over here and sit down. Um, I, I just want to relate to you a life story um, and some things that, that make me know he's God, personally. My family didn't know Jesus when I was a little boy. As a matter of fact, I got saved... Um, through the Royal Ranger program in Aptos, California. Some of you know Royal Rangers. My brother and I went, played softball one night. They took us in a room and some old fella told us about Jesus and we just believed it. And um, we prayed and we came home and my parents had had 
our relationship with God at one time, but through deep hurt had fallen away. And so we, we, they, we were raised in a home in our early days that we didn't know about Jesus. Now, I, I want to be honest with you. Some of you know Pastor Ray. Most of you do. And you know that he's a godly man and, and, and he has, he's my hero, one of my heroes. I, I just love him. Um, he's my fishing buddy, my dad, Pastor Ray, for some of you who don't know. And he's fishing with other people in Missouri and not with me. And I, I, miss, I miss that. But I want to tell you what I knew when I was a little boy. I knew a dad who loved me, but a dad who was never home. I'm talking about before I was eight. I knew a dad who loved me, but a dad who was angry in life. My dad gambled. My dad drank a lot. And then one day, my daddy gave his heart to Jesus Christ. And an eight-year-old little boy saw a miracle. Because my daddy decided to come home and be with the family. Make less money. My daddy decided he wanted to be with us first. I saw the anger starting to leave his life. I saw him radically change. He stopped drinking. He stopped gambling. His life was transformed. And I saw him live for Jesus from then to now, which is 43 years later. I saw a miracle. Now you could try to convince me there's no God, but it's not gonna work. And one of the reasons is because I saw him change my daddy's life. You tell me any other God that is spoken of in this world that transforms lives like that. I'm gonna tell you something, there's not one. All the gods with the little G make no transformation in people's lives. As a matter of fact, when people thrust themselves towards them, they'll fall deeper into sin if it's a God with a little g. Because of the God I saw in my daddy, the one true God, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. And I just know that I know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Acts 4.12 says Jesus is the only one who can save people. His name is the only power in the world that has been given to save people. We must be saved through him. Why do we preach Jesus is the only way? Because he is. Why are we willing to endure the scorn and derision of our culture? when we say Jesus is the only way because eternity's on the line. Part of my call is to endure persecution for that. Because that is the only way people can get into heaven. That is the only way they can escape. If they neglect that salvation, they'll be lost for eternity in a place that the Bible calls hell. since I know he's deity, since I know that he's the only way, since he's the only plan of the Father to rescue us, then it must be preached and it must be believed. And if you want it to work in your life, this Christianity, 
then you have to completely be a follower and believer that says he is God. Third thought today from this passage. You have to tap into all that he's given you. You want that full life. You want that abundant life to kick in. You have to tap into it. Colossians 2.10, and you've been given fullness in Christ. Now it's speaking to you and me. Insert your name. Stan has been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. Fullness in Jesus Christ, head over every power and authority. Years ago, I was at a youth camp as a counselor, and there was a young man who was uh, demon-possessed. If you, if you don't believe in that, I, 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 you read the New Testaments, you know, we're in the same grace dispensation, and you'll see that Jesus um, dealt with demons uh, at least six times, and I believe seven times in the New Testament. So, so there really are demon-possessed people, and I, I don't want to scare anybody today, but I, I, I want to make a point that there came a point where this young man spoke in a voice that was just hideous, and he was speaking to me. And this is not something that happens every day in my life, but it has happened several times as, as a minister of the gospel. And um, so we're trying to minister deliverance to this kid. We, one of the good things to do is, is remove all the other kids when something like this happens because the enemy likes to work in great fear, bring fear to people. And so the kids were removed and this demon spoke to me when I stood in front of him and said, talking to this young man and, and praying, and the demon said in this hideous voice, I will kill you. And, and here's what I said. You can't kill me. Because I don't stand here in my own strength and power. I stand here in the name and the power of Jesus Christ who defeated you on the cross. I didn't say, do you know who you're messing with? You're messing with Stan Russell. (laughs) I don't think you want to mess with me. I wouldn't dare to say that because though the enemy is not nearly as powerful as God and he can't stand up to this cross that we speak of today, he can tear me apart. but he can't touch me when I stand in the love and the power of Jesus Christ. This thought that the enemy can control believers is not true. He, only give, he can only have what we give him. Uh, you know, if the enemy can give a thought, we know from the scriptures, take every thought captive, the Bible says, but he can't make us take it. We're the ones who decide if we're gonna take it or not. When he said to Jesus, cast yourself down and prove that you're God, Jesus rebuked him and spoke the word of God and didn't receive that thought. And we can walk in this fullness that God has given us too. And let me explain a little further because not only does it give us power over all the authority, as this says, even the authorities of, and powers of darkness, but this word fullness in the Greek is the word pleroma. And it means this, the sum total of all that God is and all of his being and attributes. So you have been given fullness, pleroma, which means that all of his being and attributes are in you. Now, you're not God, not saying that, but I'm saying everything he is, all of his power, all of his attributes are available to you and I. That's pretty cool. Every believer shares in that fullness because he comes into our hearts. And the New King James Version, instead of saying you've been given fullness, it says, and you are complete in him. 
It's a nice way to say that. He is alive in us. He is in us with all that attributes. Now, doesn't it follow that if he's alive in us, we should be alive in him? But we're, even though it's resident, it's available to us, we're not always tapping into it, are we? Let's be honest. We let our thoughts go the wrong way. We sometimes don't believe. We sometimes don't trust. We don't appropriate all he has for us. But it's there for us. Life in him is wonderful. Even in this life, it's wonderful. Wonderful because when you contrast it with life outside of him, it's terrible. It's empty. Is there a song in your heart? Is there a skip in your step? Do you smile at others? Do you talk about Jesus, your Savior, the love of your life? Are you encouraging to those at work or school who are down, even though you might barely know them? Is he alive in you? Are you alive in him? Now, I, I, I'm just gonna be honest. There's a time where I could read, could read that list or there have been times in my life where I could read that list. Are you smiling? Is there a song in your heart? And I'd have to answer no, 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 and no. I, I wasn't doing it. But it wasn't his fault because <laughs> it was in me and it was there. And there are times I've chosen not to tap into it. David talks about people who would come against him in life. Enemies that would assail his character. Trouble that would come his way. But all the way through the Psalms, you see this friend of God. This young man who had a heart after God saying things like this, but I will trust in my God. Even though the elements, the people, the circumstances are against me, I will trust in you, O Lord. Someone came up to me and read from our reading this week, Habakkuk 3, I think it's verses 17 and 18, where the prophet is saying, even though my crops are failing and the figs don't come on the trees and he's naming the barns aren't full and all these things, I will rejoice in you, O Lord. What? Now I'm telling you, that's not the moment that you feel like rejoicing when things are bad. But I know for a fact that even though I'll come to places like this in my life, I'll have to catch myself and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not appropriating the fullness that is available to me. I'm not tapping into the power and the resource that is there for me. And if I'll be disciplined, and I think it's a matter of discipline, sometimes doing what I don't feel like. You say, that's not honest. That's not true. You can't let feelings determine whether you're going to have faith or not. There's going to be lots of times you don't feel like doing the right thing but I'd recommend you do it. And here's what I find. Even though I don't feel like it, when I'll start to rejoice and speak the good things, Lord, you're, he doesn't say that all things that happen to us are good, but he does say in Romans 8, 28, that he can work all things together for good. That even the hard things, he can bring good out if we'll trust him and we'll follow him. He says that he, he'll either deliver us from the fire or he'll walk through the fire with us but he'll bring something good out of it if we trust in him. He'll bring a peace that passes all understanding for now, a joy that's unspeakable. I'd like to tell you about that, but it's unspeakable. I, I can't really show you how awesome it is, but I know this, when I will find time to be with him, and I'm not thinking right, 
And I'll center my heart down on him and his truth. And when I lay myself, catch this now, my life, the weight of it completely in his hands, something happens to my heart where he starts moving. And the circumstances don't change, but I do. The way I think does. We need to tap into what he's given us. A few years ago, there was a Super Bowl commercial. You might remember it. It was a spoof on the movie Castaway where Tom Hanks was uh, on an island for five years. And this cartoon showed the lady coming to the door and this Hanks-like character bringing a FedEx package to her door in the suburbs. He gives her the package and she gives him a smile and a simple thank you. But he's curious and he says, hey, hey, would you mind if I just see what's in that package? I mean, I wanted to be faithful to deliver it here. And she opens it up and she says, oh, nothing really. Just a satellite telephone, a global positioning device, a compass, a water purifier, and some seeds. That's all that was in there. <laughs> I think of that and I think of us. Everything we need is available to us. And we're not opening the package. I'm not saying that to condemn you because I've been there before. I don't know anyone who's done it all right every time. I'm just trying to remind you like the word reminds me and I have to remind myself that when I do what he says, good things happen. I see his power release. That fullness is in me. I'm not saying I'm the fullness. I'm not saying you're the fullness. I'm saying that the pleroma all you need and that fullness is in you. And you can tap into it. Colossians 2.11 goes on to talk about our sins. And he, he, I just want your heart to rejoice. If you're going to come fully alive, you need to know that you're forgiven. It says this, in him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the old sinful nature. And with the circumcision uh, rather, not with the circumcision done by hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. And basically what that means is it's not the hands of men that bring righteousness. It's not an outward act, but it's the surgery that Christ does on the heart when we, when we offer ourselves completely and ask for forgiveness. He makes us clean and new, not the outward acts that we, uh, we might perform to show that we're willing to sacrifice in some way. We are forgiven. If you're going to come alive in Christ, one of the things you're going to have to know, know is that you can't receive that condemnation from the enemy. Meaning this, perhaps you have some great sin in your background and you've come to Christ and it is resolved. You know that you asked for forgiveness. You know that he forgave you. You know that you're saved. But the enemy comes to remind you on a regular basis, even though that's not part of your life anymore, that you did that. And he comes with this condemning thought and he comes to let you know that, hey, you're not worthy because of this. Well, who's worthy among us? I ask that first. And why are we forgiven? It's not because of the righteous outward acts of men. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross. At the end of this service, we're gonna bring this cross. We're gonna set it right here in the middle. Those little yellow stickums that you have at the end of the seat. As a matter of fact, go ahead and pass those uh, down the aisle right now and everybody take one off of there. Don't write anything on it yet. But there's a pen on your seat in front of you. And we're going to ask you to write down things that you're going to give to God and not bring up anymore. Perhaps it's this that I speak of today, a sin that the enemy wants to bring up that you're not even involved in. You're going to say, Lord, I'm not going to receive that thought anymore. I'm going to leave it at the foot of the cross. 
Don't write on there yet. Perhaps it's something that you want to give him that, that I'll speak of here in the next few minutes. Perhaps it's something in the future that he's spoken that you're going to say, Lord, I'm going to yield it to it. But the cross signifies that he is Lord, that we are forgiven, that he wants to help us overcome, that he has a plan for our lives. And we're going to write these things and bring them to the cross here in just a few minutes. Colossians 2.13 speaks of forgiveness and, and, and says this, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive. There's that word, alive with Christ. He forgave gave us all our sins, having canceled the writ, written code. See, he's speaking to the legalists too here with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. If you're gonna come fully alive in Jesus, you need to know what it is to be forgiven. You need to know that he won't hold your sin against you anymore. You need to know that when he was nailed to the cross, your sin was nailed to the cross, never to be brought up against you again. You can be forgiven if you ask him. Colossians 2 says that he disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Public spectacle. I believe that culturally that refers to what would happen when kings would go to war. They would defeat the enemy and they would come back in literally riding in a parade where the king would be at the front, the generals behind, soldiers would trail them and then they would have the enemy defeated, emaciated in shackles and make a public spectacle of those that had tried to destroy the people and the country. And so when this says that Jesus made a public spectacle, I believe it's speaking to that type of thing that was culturally known then. That was called a public spectacle. Make a public spectacle of your enemy by, by making them trail behind in humility and change. And what it's saying is this, that Jesus made a public spectacle of the enemy and all the imps and devils in this world by defeating them on the cross, crushing the head of Satan, and they have no power. He made a public spectacle and shamed them by the cross, showing that he has all power. That power is ours. He not only gave us the power, or, or not only forgave us with this power, but he gave us the power to overcome sin if we'll tap into it. Now, I'm not saying it's possible to be sinless. I'll just tell you, I've never met anyone in life who was sinless. I met a few who thought they were but they didn't know their sin was pride. But I am saying, it's very obvious in the scriptures that we can be sanctified and sin less and less all the time. We do not have to give way to the power of sin in our lives the way we used to because the cross gives us power to overcome. The old sinful nature is not completely eradicated. We, we still sin. But the power has been broken as we yield to Christ and walk in the power of his Holy Spirit, we can be overcomers. Anybody here ever see the old program called Hee Haw? Raise your hand if you've seen that, all right? I'm looking for someone under 40. I don't, uh, okay, hey, there we go, all right. You're watching reruns for sure. <laughs> but those, those of us who are over 40, we've, we've uh, I'm just barely over 40. We, we've, we've, uh, We've seen that show. There was, there was a scene 
where Doc Campbell is confronted by a patient in that show and the patient says that he broke his arm in two places and the doctor says, well then stay out of them places. <laughs> and when God gives us the power to overcome, he'll speak to us and tell us to go a different direction. He'll say, don't go by her desk anymore at the office if you're tempted by her. Don't go that way. Make your feet go a different direction. Don't let your eyes go there. Don't let that come into your home. And he'll tell you things not to do, not just to do, but not to do. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 shows us how we can tap into this power. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. See the power that's ours? We can bring not only our past sins that the enemy tries to condemn us, but the current things that are a struggle for us. We can bring them to the cross and lay them under the blood of Jesus and appropriate the power to be overcomers there. And our feet and our eyes and our lives can go a different direction. Not just because we have a will, but we have a will and he has the power. Not only can he do that, I'm talking about coming alive and not letting these things bring us down and hold us any longer, but he'll help us in times of trouble. 2 Corinthians 1.4, he comforts us in all troubles, all our troubles, so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. If you'll go to him when you hurt. I'm glad you have your spouse there. If you do. I'm glad you have your friend, your neighbor. I'm glad for a Christian counselor. I'm glad for a pastor. But I, I want to recommend that above all those people, you go to someone else when you're hurting. Go to Jesus. Pe people can help. But, but Jesus is the one that you have personal access to. You don't have to go through a pastor. You can go to him. You can kneel by your bed and tell him how you hurt. And you can tell him you need him. And you can tell him you need his, his wisdom. And James 1.5 says, if you lack wisdom, ask. Will not he give you wisdom? He wants to give it to you more than you want to receive it. And when you're hurting, he will comfort you. And he'll help you through it. And he'll give you victory on the other side. I read about a ship that was out in the ocean off of the country of Brazil and without water. And the people around were, or on that ship were dying of thirst. And they saw another ship in the distance and they sent a message and said this, do you have any water? We need water badly. And the other ship sent back a message and said this, let down your buckets where you are. They said, no, you don't understand. And they sent another message, we need drinking water. And they sent back a message again, let down your buckets where you are. And they let down their buckets and unbelievably they came up with fresh water. Here's why. Though they were out some distance in the ocean, the mighty Amazon River was so powerful that its current 
went some distance out into that ocean as well. And they were in a spot where fresh water was flowing from the mighty Amazon and didn't know it. Maybe you're going through hardship trial. Maybe you're not over to, able to overcome right now. And I'm just telling you that Jesus by his cross has defeated the enemy of your soul. That though the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus comes to bring life. And Jesus has living water that you, maybe you haven't felt it's available to you. But if you'll reach to him, that living water is yours today.